0: The bankers at UBS built their fortune with a uniquely Swiss proposition, secrecy. Russian oligarchs, dictators, mafia members, potentially terrorists out there uh, using Swiss bank secrecy to hide their money, launder their funds and get away with whatever their crimes have been.
1: At the core, they will not be subject to some political influence because the Swiss government uh, is leaving them alone, or at least that's a perception.
2: Hundreds of companies folded into UBS over its 16-decade run. The result is a global enterprise with tens of thousands of employees. Now, following a blockbuster acquisition of Credit Suisse, UBS Group is poised to take on the world.
3: It creates an absolute behemoth that will swallow up the entire market domestically in Switzerland as far as personal banking is concerned and essentially obliterate competition. This could catapult UBS out of that basket of peers alongside your Deutsche Bank's, BNP, Parabars, HSBC's and into the realms of your JP Morgan.
2: How did UBS take Switzerland to the top of global finance and what challenges are emerging as this massive bank becomes even bigger? Swiss bankers have to keep client information secret by law.
0: I've talked to Swiss bankers who say the only reason to have your money in a Swiss bank is because you want to hide that money there. And that's for two reasons. One is that the returns on investment generally aren't as high in Swiss banks as they are in American banks or competitive banks around the world. And also because the fees are pretty high there compared to other banks around the world. So if you're paying more and earning less, you're there for some other reason than maximizing your profit potential. In Switzerland, you can go to prison for revealing client details. That's made it a magnet for foreign cash. Americans trying to hide money from the IRS. Argentines trying to hide money from the
2: Argentinian government. According to UBS, more than half of its invested assets in its wealth management division come from people in the United States. In 2009, they admitted to using these laws to help 47,000 Americans dodge taxes. UBS also has a large domestic footprint taking deposits from customers across the many Swiss cantons. This map shows where UBS had the most domestic customers pre-merger. They've since grown.
3: Both UBS and Credit Suisse have really strong Swiss personal and corporate banking divisions. They have tried to focus on that and the global wealth manager as key kind of profit centers, as pillars of stability since the financial crisis and since they've had to try and quite radically and quickly de-risk um, they've done that quite successfully.
2: UBS says its founding values are displayed on the logo. Three keys symbolizing security, trust and discretion.
1: But secrecy has been dented by uh, recent developments in the last two decades because particularly the U.S. tax authorities and together with them, other authorities have eroded some aspects of the secrecy, but it remains a distinctive feature.
2: Today, with $5 trillion in assets invested, UBS ranks in as one of the world's 30 largest banks. Regulators call them global, systemically important banks, or
1: GSIBs. GSIBs deserve attention from the perspective of global financial sector stability. When you look at the lists, they tend to be highly correlated with size and also to some extent with complexity and cross-border activity. Before the merger, both Credit Suisse and UBS were in that list of the roughly 30 most systemically important banks in the world uh, set by the Financial Stability Board.
0: Governments generally are you know, reluctant to let banks fail. So when a bank gets in crisis for one reason or another, the typical response from government regulators is to move in and broker a sale to some other bank which is
2: bigger and healthier. That's more or less what happened when a bank run mounted in Switzerland. This would potentially be Europe's most historic banking combination if a deal were to come through since the financial crisis. Well, there have
0: been a lot of talks about merging the two banks and it had been something that had been reported about for, for a long time before it actually happened. But it wasn't until the crisis that it was worth it for the Swiss government to put up the money to make the deal actually happen.
3: As recently as February, the strategic board of UBS looked at Credit Suisse and decided that it would not be desirable as an acquisition target. Credit Suisse was pushed right to the brink and the Swiss authorities were forced really to offer some pretty significant sweeteners to the deal for UBS, including the $9 billion government loss backing and also the wipeout of $17 billion worth of 81 Credit Suisse bonds, um, which significantly reduced the risk for UBS who got their main rival in Switzerland essentially for a, a massive cut price.
2: UBS ultimately paid about $3 billion to buy its rival. The Swiss government pledged over $100 billion in emergency liquidity to push the deal forward quickly. In the sale, Credit Suisse shareholders expect to trade in about 22 shares to receive one UBS share.
1: What the Swiss government mostly did is impose losses on creditors and shareholders uh, of Credit Suisse. So shareholders didn't lose everything. They got a little bit of money, but not much. Most creditors were made whole, but some of them weren't. So the, the holders of the most risky uh, instruments called contingent convertible or additional tier one debt, uh, these people lost all their money, uh, which was uh, controversial. We knew that Credit Suisse had problems.
2: Sorting to the problems may take time. Credit Suisse had a huge balance sheet, about twice the size of Lehman Brothers, when it
3: collapsed. UBS had four days to do their due diligence on Credit Suisse's entire business. They acknowledged in this SEC filing that those risks are going to be present uh, and that the the haste with which they were forced into this decision does mean that there are risks further down the line. But as it stands, the opportunity that they see is to catapult UBS right to the, you know, the very upper echelon of the, the global banking system.
2: UBS said acquiring Credit Suisse may make the bank more competitive globally despite the potential increase in operational complexity.
3: UBS, in its current form, is comprised of around 370 various financial firms that it's absorbed over the course of its uh, two-century history.
2: Some of these founding banks led the industrialization of Switzerland. Others opened early ventures abroad. Many of these preceding companies grew as wealthy people stowed cash overseas to escape rising taxes. By the 1940s, Swiss banks emerged as a global force, with Zurich becoming the third most important center behind New York and London.
1: There have been a lot of inquiries and investigations, including their role during World War I, or the predecessor banks, because UBS, as we know it, is a product of multiple mergers. So there were uh, different predecessors, uh, including now uh, Credit Suisse, but also uh, Swiss Bank Corporation, uh, with which they merged in 1998. A
2: wave of bank failures rippled through the United States in this era, creating an opportunity for international groups.
3: The 2000 acquisition of Payne Webber for $10.8 billion was hugely transformative for UBS. It enabled them to reach across the Atlantic with what has become their flagship wealth management arm. They are now the largest wealth manager in the world. Um, And that was an acquisition that was one of the most strategically significant for any European bank this millennium.
2: The 2007 housing crash put a dent in UBS's portfolio traders speculated that the firm might fold.
1: So the picture back in 2008 was UBS was a problem bank among the two large swiss banks, and Credit Suisse was a kind of uh, you know uh, uh, example to follow. And there are lots of ironies when you look at those uh,
3: comparative developments. So during the crisis, UBS took a massive hit. Um, their market cap went from you know $126 billion to, to 26 over the course of a, a couple of years. They were caught up in the LIBOR trading scandal.
2: In the 2010s, several banks were caught manipulating global interest rates. At UBS, over 2,000 instances of misconduct were uncovered.
3: That was a $2 billion hit, which was incredibly substantial at the time, both reputationally and financially. What UBS has really been able to do is is restore an element of of stability and risk aversion um, that, that Credit Suisse kind of failed to do over that period. But UBS has still been embroiled in various tax evasion allegations that stem from that history of the code of silence in Swiss banking. I'm
2: pleased that we are closing a chapter, a 15 years old chapter of our own litigation inventory, let's call it. CEO Sergio Ormadi is a veteran Swiss banker who led UBS's recovery from the global financial crisis.
3: He rebuilt the bank into this kind of stable, profitable machine, Amati, who left in 2020 with a reputation for being quite ruthless, willing to to implement cuts, but being willing to do what was necessary to steady the ship.
2: He returned to the company in 2023 after stepping down from the post in 2020. At UBS, many questions remain about looming job cuts, litigation and the firm's future structure. Global banks like UBS answer to many regulators.
1: When we think of Credit Suisse failing, immediately we think, okay, uh, what did the Swiss authorities do to monitor that bank? But actually, when you think about it, you have to think about the UK authorities, the US authorities.
2: UBS may inherit some problems with this acquisition. For example, the Senate Budget Committee reported that Credit Suisse maintained Nazi-linked accounts as recently as 2020.
0: Credit Suisse, although it had pledged in 2014 that it was going to work with the U.S. government and not allow Americans to have secret financial accounts inside Switzerland, they weren't doing that in every case. The bank may face more
2: scrutiny as it grows.
3: I think Swiss authorities have realized that, you know, they can't operate in a vacuum anymore. Domestically, obviously, they love the idea that they had this modus operandi of secrecy, of you know discretion. Domestically and politically, that's that's a priority, and clinging on to that and resisting the international pressure to ditch it is is also a priority. But you know, if you want to have you know, decent trade deals and diplomatic relationships, you also need to, you know, have give a bit of rope to you know to international partners. There is an element of pride
1: and also perception of benefits in the fact that, for example, a lot of profit accrues to UBS and some of this goes into national. Coffers through uh, group-level taxation. That relationship between UBS and the Swiss authorities, um, between UBS and the Swiss body politics, so to say, uh, will be fascinating to watch going forward. And I think we're, we're, we're at the beginning of a new phase now that they're, so to say, alone at the top.